So on Sunday mornings, we have been looking at Jesus' teaching in Luke chapter 6, under the heading, Who is your teacher? And verse 40 is an important verse for us to take on board. The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like the teacher. Those whom we listen to, who teach us, instruct us, have a huge influence and shape what we're like. And you see this with young children. They uh, subconsciously take on many of the characteristics of their parents. And for both parents and children alike, that is often frightening. And what we're thinking about this morning as we conclude our series is to what extent is the Lord Jesus Christ being our teacher? To what extent are we allowing him to instruct us, to change us, to shape us, so that we become more and more like him? What we've seen so far in Luke chapter 6 is that Jesus is a teacher like no other. Who in our society today, in fact, who throughout history has taught that the path to disaster is to be rich and comfortable, that the path to disaster is to have a good diet and be happy, that the path to disaster is to be popular and well-spoken of by those in power. Because those things create pride and complacency. Perhaps we can think of some revolutionaries who have taught that as they sought the downfall of, a, of an abusive ruling elite. But did those same revolutionaries go on to teach that the path of blessing is to be poor, hungry, and sorrowful, and hated because of allegiance to Jesus? No, they did not. But this is what Jesus announces to his disciples in verse 20. Let me just uh, read them again to us. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Did your parents actively teach and model that to you. I had wonderful Christian parents, but I'm not sure they ever explicitly taught me things like that. Did your teachers at school? Was this the aspiration of your peers at uni? Are your bosses at work laying on training courses to establish this culture in your companies and institutions? Is this the worldview, the mindset that we have actively embraced for ourselves, for our families, for our churches? I confess that for myself, 
I don't think it has been. I, I, I know it here in my head, but have I really taken on this in my heart? Is this shaping me? And then two weeks ago, we considered Jesus' teaching that we should love our enemies and pray for those who will treat us. Why? Because that is how God has treated us. Verse 36, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. When we were God's enemies, ignoring him and defying his kingly rule over us, what did he do? Treat us as our sins deserve? No, he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. God didn't just turn the other cheek. In Christ, God bore the punishment for our rebellion against him so that we can know his perfect friendship and forgiveness. So that we can call him Father and be absolutely confident of his love for us. And then last week, we saw how Jesus warns us about our unnatural blindness when it comes to this, this business of living rightly and well. And that is why we need Jesus to teach us and lead us. And, and why we are to be slow about judging and condemning others. Look at verse 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's a reminder that we need to be addressing our own natural blindness and spiritual poverty before we seek to help others address theirs. And now as we come to the end of this kind of sermon on the plane, Jesus, he makes an observation and he gives a warning. The observation is straightforward. Verse 43, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. An apple tree that is healthy with a good water supply will be laden with apples. But one which is diseased and blighted, with a poor water supply, will produce a, a measly crop. People do not pick uh, figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. They certainly don't. Thorn bushes and briars won't produce figs and grapes. The fruit of somebody's life is dependent on the state of their heart. The heart, that's the key issue. So, says Jesus, a good man will produce good fruit from the good that's stored in his heart, while an evil man will produce evil fruit from what is stored in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Now, in a sense, that is all pretty straightforward, isn't it? There's no problem in understanding that, is there? I mean, this is, this is primary school stuff. The logic is clear and simple. But what is not immediately straightforward, is who is the good man and who is the evil man? Well, I'm old enough to have watched a number of those American westerns which were, were filmed before and after the Second World War. Most of them were in black and white, and you could always tell who the goodies were by the colour of their hat. The goodies had a light-coloured hat, but the bad is the dark one. But when it comes to real life, it's harder to distinguish 
between a good man and a bad man. But Jesus has already told us how we can distinguish them. You look at the fruit. You look at what comes out of their heart. You notice how they speak. So as you consider the fruit that comes out of your heart, are you a good man or woman? Or are you an evil man or woman? What do you think? Well, actually, what matters is not so much what we think <laughs> as what God and the Lord Jesus think. If Jesus is to be my teacher, it is his opinion. I want to know and understand and be shaped by. So keep a finger in Luke chapter 6 and turn on a few pages to Luke chapter 11 on page uh, 1042. You got that? 10.42, Luke chapter 11. And uh, we'll be looking at verse 11. So here is Jesus talking to his disciples uh, in the context of prayer. And he says, verse 11, Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, Know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It's almost a kind of throwaway comment, isn't it? (laughs) But Jesus considers his disciples to be evil. Friends, whoever we are, whether we have been believers for many years or whether we've never set foot inside a church until this morning... We have this in common. We are all of us not what we should be. We all have corrupted hearts that rebel against God. We are all evil. And if you doubt Jesus' verdict, just honestly consider some of the stuff that comes out of your heart. I mean, what is your thought life like? How happy would you be for people to know the sorts of things that go through your mind? What is your behavior like when no one is looking? What is your behavior like when you're tired and under pressure? You see, it's often external factors, actually, that reveal the state of our heart. Most people can be pleasant when everything is pleasant and easy around them. But it's times of hardship and stress that reveal the true state of people's hearts. So, for instance, all it takes is for my computer not to be working the way I think it should. And for me to be unable to do what is clearly for everyone else a simple task and I just cannot do it. And very quickly the evil within my heart becomes evident. Wounded pride, lack of self-control, selfishness as the world seems to collapse and my problem is the biggest problem that matters more than anybody else's problem in the household. I get frustrated across the stupidity of this flaming machine. See, casually saying his disciples are evil, Jesus isn't insulting them. He's simply stating an observable fact. 
Well, the wonderful good news of the Christian gospel is that God sent the Lord Jesus Christ into the world so that evil people actually like you and me might be rescued from sin and its consequences. And what is it? And also to be changed. God wants to do a work in us now. And is doing a work in us now as we come and put our trust in Jesus to begin to change our hearts so that we might produce good fruit. So this is the first thing, main thing for us to take away this morning. Be trained by Jesus and you will produce good fruit that reflects your changing heart. See, that's the most amazing thing of the gospel. Christ doesn't just save us from the penalty of sin. He begins to save us from sin now. As he works on our heart to change us, to make us think and to act and shape us so that we might become more like him. And notice that it is a process. We need to keep on coming to Jesus to be taught and trained by him. See, because our, 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 our sinful hearts are evil, if we give up coming to Jesus, we, well, we just revert to type. We will just continue to adopt the, the values of this world which are in opposition to God. But if we keep coming to Christ, acknowledging our, yes, our poverty, our poverty of spirit, that we hunger for his goodness, we, we weep over our sinfulness, Bit by bit, Jesus will change our hearts, and the fruit of those changed hearts will be seen. In fact, one of the fruits of a changing heart is a, a growing consciousness of our spiritual poverty, which goes alongside a, a, a greater just appreciation and a desire for Christ because of all he has done for us. I love how the Apostle Paul seemed to become more and more aware of his sin and dependence on God, the more he went on on in his life. So in one of his earlier letters, 1 Corinthians, he describes himself as the, the least of the apostles. In Ephesians, he describes himself as less than the least of all of God's people. And then one of his last letters, 1 Timothy, he describes himself as the worst of sinners. <laughs> But it's lovely how that realization didn't, didn't crush Paul. It just made him love Jesus more. As, as he became more aware, obviously the darkness that exists in our hearts, but the wonder of what Christ is doing to change us, to make us more like him. So if you've come here to church this morning conscious of your of your lack of godliness and good fruit. But then don't keep your distance from Jesus. We come to him and we seek him and we put our trust in him and we listen to him and ask him to soften and change our hearts. And if we have done that, if we are doing that, then yes, although we will still be consciousness of all the filth that comes out of our hearts. We'll be able to echo the words of John Newton, that wonderfully converted slave trader who wrote Amazing Grace, who once said, I, I'm not what I ought to be. I'm not what I want to be. 
I'm not what I hope to be, but still I'm not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. Friends, are we being trained actively, wanting to be trained by Jesus? Because if we are, we will produce good fruit that reflects a changing heart. But that isn't the only thing we are to take away this morning, because Jesus finishes his sermon with a warning, and it is a stark warning. Jesus has just finished his, uh, that section, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. And then Jesus imagines people going up to him and saying, Lord, Lord, and if the mouth speaks what the heart is full of, well, then to all intents and purposes, these folk look like the genuine article. That they are coming to Jesus, calling him, him Lord, and they appear keen. They, they, they recognize Jesus as Lord and approach him as such. But Jesus is not impressed by these folk. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? And friends, that is a very searching question that Jesus, through his word and by his spirit, poses to every one of us here this morning. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I imagine that in a gathering the size of this, there will be some who are professing Christian believers, regular churchgoers. We know God's will, and yet there may be an area or areas in our life that we currently have no intention of yielding to Jesus. It could be in the area of money and greed. We know that God wants us to be generous with the resources that he has given us and content with what we have. We know that God has been kind and generous to us, but we will not share our resources with those in need or for the work of the gospel. Or it may be in the area of relationships. There is a person who has wronged us, and we know that it's God's will for us to forgive as the Lord has forgiven us. But although it is hard and it's painful, we have no intention of addressing that hard, painful situation. We're not going to go there. We want to actually to keep on nursing the grudge. We prefer to do that. That's what we're committed to doing. And the pain. Rather than seeking with Christ's strength to change it. Or it may be in the area of sexuality. It so often is. We are engaged in an illicit romantic relationship. Or we are regularly immersing ourselves in pornography. We know it is wrong and shameful. We know that it's not God's will for human flourishing. Yet we have no intention of giving it up. Well, friends, we need to heed this warning, for God cannot be mocked. Yes, there is wonderful good news in the gospel. Be trained by Jesus, and you will produce good fruit that reflects your changing heart. But go through the motions, and you'll be exposed when the time of testing comes. See, this is the other main point that... Jesus seems to want us to get away with. And, and to make that point, Jesus tells us this parable about two builders. Verse 47, As for everyone who comes to me 
and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When the flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. Now again, notice the wonderful promise in those two verses. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. This is an invitation for everyone. Nobody is excluded. Whatever condition we're in, whatever background, whatever problems that are actually going on in our lives or in our hearts, whatever skeletons there might be in the cupboards, if we will come to Jesus and if we will put our trust in him as our risen Lord and King and if we seek, having heard his words, to put them into practice, we will be like this builder who laid good foundations. So that when the flash flood came, his house wasn't washed away. Instead, it remained intact. Times of testing and crisis will come. We can't avoid them. They will, they will come in this current age in which we live. They will certainly come on the day of judgment. But if we have come to Jesus and are listening to him and are actively seeking to fashion our lives in obedience to him, although those crises and times of testing will come and may be painful and hard, we will stand. It's a promise. Yes, we will sometimes get things horribly wrong. Yes, our obedience will be imperfect. But if we are seeking to put into practice all that Jesus stands for, all that he is, that that is where our trust is. If we are listening and seeking to do his will, we will persevere to the end. We will hear the Lord Jesus say to us, well done, well done, you good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. Active obedience to Christ really matters. So if you are struggling with the issues, maybe that you're struggling with addictive and sinful behaviors, seek help. Yes, seek help directly from Jesus. Cry out to him in prayer. But also seek help from the Christian brothers and sisters whom Jesus has put around you. This is what church is. This is what we're here for. Church is a family. It's a family of broken brothers and sisters with whom the Lord Jesus Christ is at work changing us from the inside out. Church is not a hotel for saints. It is a hospital for sinners. Verse 49, but the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. The two builders in this parable are made up of the people gathered around Jesus and listening to him. They've all been impressed by Jesus. They've all heard the sermon. 
To put it in its modern context, they have been coming to All Souls Langham Place regularly over the last six months. They've all heard the claims that Jesus has made about himself and the standard of righteousness that Christ has put before them. Both builders have heard those claims and have taken notes. But one of them does nothing about it. Friends, for some people, church can be a very dangerous place. They come regularly to sit under the word of God. And they love the hearing the Bible explained and singing God's praises. But they don't do anything about the word they hear. They don't act on it. They leave church and carry on building their lives. And in many ways, uh, their lives look very similar to the lives of other people from church. But when the judgment day comes, it will reveal what was going on, what the house was built on. Because their lives actually weren't built on active obedience to Jesus and his words. They were built on something else. And so they experienced destruction. And Jesus ends his sermon on this very somber note. But it is possible to face times of testing and the judgment day unafraid. And the way we do that is by doing something about Jesus today. We, we repent. We, we take on board this, uh, this teaching of Jesus that we have been uh, considering. And we embrace the wonderful change that Jesus will bring about in our lives as we're trained by him. Let me lead us in a prayer. O oh, our gracious God and Father, we praise and thank you for setting one over us, a king, who knows what it's like to be tempted as we are, but yet was without sin, whose heart was always pure and whole. And we thank you for one in our Lord Jesus who, who understands our trials and weaknesses, who understands the kind of pressures of life. And we thank you for the new life that we can have in him. Thank you that the Lord Jesus, by his spirit, is changing our hearts as we heed your word and seek to put into practice. Please continue to do that in us so that when the times of testing come, we may stand firm. And we ask this in his precious name. Amen.